Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We hear it all the time. Russia is engaged in misinformation, disinformation campaigns of all kinds to undercut support for Ukraine. Does it actually work? How does it actually work is a good question. Does it have any influence and how can it be stopped? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, the disinformation campaigns uh, continue. We know they are happening, but we need to figure out what actually is happening, how it's actually done, what impact it's having. And to help us break all that down, Brett Schaefer is a senior fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy in Washington, D.C. He's also the head of their information manipulation team. Uh, and this is uh, really critical stuff. And, uh, Brett, appreciate you making some time for us today. Thanks for having me. So as you look at this uh What's go- going on, especially as it relates to Ukraine? Uh, just give us kind of a, a behind the curtain there. What what is actually happening? Uh, what are we actually seeing in terms of misinformation? Well, I think one thing to point out is this has been a persistent campaign from the Russians to dehumanize Ukrainians for eight plus years. Mm. So there has been an effort to sort of paint them as these genocidal neo-Nazis, to paint the West as the aggressors, Russia essentially as the sort of innocent victim here that's being dragged into war. So there's been a continuation of that. But of course, now that we're in an active conflict, uh, things have really escalated. So we've moved from this effort, uh, you know, to kind of create a victimization of Russia here to more active disinformation campaigns and specifically this sort of notion that the U.S. is running bioweapons programs in Ukraine, um, that they are potentially helping the Ukrainians out with a chemical weapons program. I mean, very dangerous stuff now yeah. when you look at that as being potentially a signal of what Russia may be planning in the country. Yeah, and as you as you look at that, uh, Brett, is most of that misinformation, is that mostly targeted inside of Russia? What's what's kind of the breakdown? Give us a look at both of those. What's happening inside of Russia? What's happening uh, to other allies and, and people in the region? Well, Russia really has three primary target audiences, speaking broadly. One, of course, is the domestic audience, and they completely control uh, the information space at this point. The last few independent outlets in Russia have had to close their doors in the last month. Uh, then the second target audience would be Ukrainians. So they're, of course, trying to, um, you know, essentially 
put Ukrainians into a position where they feel like uh, it's hopeless and that there's no chance of winning. And then the third audience is an international audience. So that's very broad, and they're able to target very specific messages to different parts of the world. But, of course, there's this effort here to try to uh, portray this war as somehow being justified, um, Ukrainians as being the aggressors. So there, it depends on the audience yeah. when you look at the message because they're really able to tailor specific narratives to specific groups. Yeah, so I want to dig into a little bit of in terms of what they're trying to do with the Ukrainian audience because I think that's an interesting one. As, as you talk about it, if you can undermine their confidence, if you can make them feel like everything is hopeless uh, or that things are you know not being done the right way or that somehow the government is you know part of some other conspiracy or collusion, what kind of effect or impact have they had success uh, in uh, dissuading some of the Ukrainians with with some of this? No, I don't think so. And I think this is where Russia really miscalculated. Uh, Ukraine has fought a pretty brilliant information war to date. I, I don't think Putin and the Kremlin uh, really gave Zelensky enough credit. I mean, there's something to be said for him being a trained actor. I mean, he knows how to message. He, he knows how to kind of capture the moment. And that's something I don't think they, they really understood going in. And then Ukrainians, again, they've been on the front line of Russian disinformation for a decade. So all of us who study disinformation, we usually have always turned to Ukraine first to see what's coming, what we can expect in the U.S., because they've seen it all. They've been essentially uh, a trial balloon of sorts for Russia's campaigns elsewhere. So Ukrainians are really resilient. Uh, they understand the tactics and techniques that Russia uses to try to divide them. And they're just really well prepared. Mm, that's that is so fascinating. Uh, in some ways, their their citizens are probably better prepared for that uh, disinformation or misinformation than we are uh, here in the U.S. Uh, Brad, I know one of the things that you've done you you've been the creator and manager of this uh, Hamilton 2.0, uh, this online open source dashboard tracking the outputs of of Russian, Chinese, Iranian state media outlets. Uh, give us some more perspective there in terms of what you're monitoring, what you're watching for, and uh, really what comes next. Yeah, I think the interesting thing looking at Russia in particular over the last several years is Russian propaganda is actually it quite often doesn't talk about Russia. It's not particularly comfortable in defending Russia. Mm. Their approach is typically to attack the West and to try to undermine from within. So when we look at what they've done in the U.S., they've tried to exacerbate polarization that exists here. And so they talk about social issues and political issues. And when you look at their outputs, very rarely before the war did they actually try to defend Russian positions. And most of their best propagandists are actually Westerners. They're Americans in many cases. And so this has put them in kind of an awkward position because it's just not really their comfort zone. So again, we've seen them move a little bit from this just kind of pouring gas on the fire of fights that we're having within the U.S. to now pivoting to trying to create confusion uh, around what's happening in Ukraine. And I don't think they're being particularly successful there. I think one of the things that we've seen that has been concerning is the convergence with Chinese messaging and Russian messaging around Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So we've seen uh, Chinese propagandists essentially using the same language that Russia is using to describe the war, this really sanitized language. The Chinese will call this a special military operation, not a war, not an invasion. And they've also been very active in spreading this conspiracy theory about the U.S. bioweapons program there. So that's a concern, I think, going forward, is that we're seeing 
uh, at least in the information space, a, a war on two fronts right now. Yeah. And so how do we uh, how do we move forward on this? What is it that we need to do better or do differently uh, here in the U.S. as we also are obviously part of this uh, this whole conflict? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, awareness is the key. I mean, just understanding the sources of information, understanding how information reaches people. You know, you don't have to be following a Russian propaganda outlet to see those narratives leak into your information space. They can be spread through multiple different sources. So really being sort of vigilant and savvy information consumers, but also information producers. I mean, everyone at this point who has a social media account plays a part in our information environment. So we have to be careful about what we share. We have to verify information. We have to make sure that we're not unwittingly essentially doing the work for Russian propagandists. That's so, uh, so, so important. Uh, fantastic insight. Brett Schaefer, again, senior fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy in Washington, D.C. Uh, he is the head of their information manipulation team. Uh, Brett, thanks for joining us today. Great insight. Uh, something for all of us to think about as it relates to disinformation uh, coming out of Russia and also out of China as well. Thanks so much. So misinformation, disinformation, it is everywhere. And uh, as Brent said, uh, it's incumbent upon all of us. You don't have to be following a Russian propagandist or a Chinese propagandist to be caught up in all of that disinformation. Uh, we've got to scrutinize uh, because there are messages there. I thought it was interesting that Brett pointed out that uh, that the Russian disinformation uh, is not about defending Russia. It's about villainizing, making victims and villainizing uh, those that uh, they're against, in particular pointing all of the mistakes, all of the problems to the West and creating conspiracy theories about what the United States is doing uh, and how that makes Russia a victim uh, that must defend itself. So, again, we've got to be extra vigilant as individual citizens. Uh, we also have to make sure that we're looking more broadly in terms of where we're getting our information uh, to make sure we're actually following the facts. With Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.